several years back, I was uh, searching for a book on Amazon that I was hoping to get. And um, as I looked around, and some of you may be bargain hunters or whatever you want to define yourself as, that's, that's kind of sometimes how I find myself. Um, and I was looking and I was searching desperately to find this book. And as I looked on Amazon trying to find this book, I found this book, a hardcover, brand new. It was not for $18. Instead, it was for $3. And I remember like for the next two days as I wait on my Amazon Prime shipping to get here, I'm bragging to him like, dude, I got the $3 book. And like, that's how it rolls. And that's why, you know, and all this. And then I'll never forget, I ran the mailbox that day and opened up and I was looking for this and I got a hardcover brand new, but it was actually this. <laughs> yeah. It was like a few key quotes from each chapter. I'll never forget him. He's like, tell me about your book. And I was like, well, I've got a hardcover and it is new, but it's a little small. <clears throat> it was a moment, a reminder that maybe what your parents or grandparents or others have probably warned and told you at times, if it sounds too good to be true, it what? It probably is. You see, some things in life, kind of like this book, are just too good to be true. I often use this in marriage counseling as an analogy of sometimes things we expect in marriage to be like this. Sometimes it looks a little bit more like this. And sometimes that can be hard and it, it can be really tough at the first years of marriage. But I bring and use this analogy to show you because I think that's the truth of what happens as we come to Matthew 12. In Matthew 11, Jesus has made this epic statement. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. The promise is this. What most of them probably think he can deliver is this. And maybe you're there too. Maybe you, like the Jewish people, hear this great statement, come to me and I will give you rest. And you wonder and think, you know what? That sounds really good. That sounds ideal. That sounds good. But the reality is, I know how life works. It may look like that, but the truth is, in my life, it's probably going to be more like this. And I think it's just this moment in which we begin to wonder, can Jesus really deliver on the promise to bring true rest? And can we be actually faithful to God by resting in Jesus alone? Right? Could, could the Jewish people step out of this Jewish way of life of trying to follow the law according to what their rabbis and their teachers have been telling them and now follow this other rabbi, this other teacher? Could it be true that he could actually deliver on this promise to bring rest? It's this tension in the text, I think, that Matthew now brings us to, to the ultimate place of rest for the Jewish people, the Sabbath. It's the day of rest. This text seems to highlight that tension as we, just like the Jews, all live in a world that seems to demand that we are constantly doing enough good things to be accepted by God. But the Bible actually shows us today that it's not about what we can do to earn God's favor. It's actually about His mercy. Today, the big truth or the big idea from the text will be this, that Christ can give us rest because He is Lord, and He does it by showing us mercy. Christ can actually truly give you rest because He is Lord, and He does it by bringing or showing you and I mercy. 
So today we're going to tackle maybe three questions from the text. One is first, where or when can Jesus actually give us the rest? That's where Jesus finishes, or Matthew finishes his 11th chapter, right? Verse 28, come to me all you weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. The question is, can he do it? And so Matthew 12 seems to be the answer to that specific question. Secondly, we got to ask, well, why can he give us rest? And then thirdly, well, how? Like, how does this rest actually come to me? How does it land in my life? So let's tackle the first one, right? Asking that question, where or when can Jesus give us rest? And the answer is this. Jesus can give us rest in the greatest area of our lives. And if he can do it in the greatest of areas, then that means he can do it in the least of areas too. That's what's going to happen here. Because the Sabbath is the ultimate day of rest, or so it's supposed to be. But that is no longer what it is for the Jewish people. The Sabbath, instead of being a day of rest for them, has become the most wearisome and tiresome day of the entire week. And it's that very place, the heart of that, that Jesus is going to attack and say, I can bring rest in the greatest area in need of your life. And if I can do it there, I can do it anywhere. Turn with you would, Matthew chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the what? The Sabbath. That's the tension of the text. Sabbath, right? They're walking through these grain fields on the Sabbath. The Sabbath was their seventh day of the week. It was the, what day of the week for them, actually? Saturday, right? So Saturday was the seventh day. It was a day in which they were to rest. And, and you wonder, like, well, why is that? Why was it to be a day of rest? In fact, the law commanded, the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments, listen to what it says, Exodus chapter 20, where the Ten Commandments are listed. Beginning in verse 8, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You, your wives, your kids, your servants, nobody does any work for. Look what he says there, verse 11. The Lord rested on the seventh day. They are following the Lord's example. So there is a zeal and a passion to follow God's commands and to honor Him and bring glory to Him. Yet in their zeal, the religious leaders have made the Sabbath anything but a day of rest. In fact, the Sabbath has become the ultimate day to reflect what the Jewish leadership had made their very lives, to be laborsome and heavy laden. The Sabbath represents the entirety of the Jewish way of life, and it says the way of the Jewish life is supposed to be a way of freedom and joy and empowerment in the spirit, walking ultimately as we do now, walking in the Spirit, glorifying the Lord and showing His glory to everyone else. But they've made it a day of rituals and rules. And really, that's what their relationship with God's become about. You see, they think that somehow they can do enough good things to please God. And really, the relationship then is based not on mercy and grace. It's based upon rituals and rules. And maybe that feels familiar for some of you. Like your life with the Lord and your relationship with Him is just based upon how good you do or if you can do enough of this or you can be serious enough this week or you can read your Bible. I mean, whatever it is. But listen, the challenge with this is the Talmud. The Talmud is a Jewish book in which their rabbis have written different rules and regulations. In fact, in the Talmud, as they speak about the law, there is 24 chapters on the interpretation of what it means to keep the Sabbath. 
24 chapters. One rabbi spent two and a half years just studying one chapter to interpret what it actually meant. Here's just a, a glimmer of what those were. The laws are just crazy. One law on the Sabbath was that chairs could not be moved because they tended to drag ruts across the ground, and that was a violation. Women couldn't look in a glass because they thought they might see their reflection, see a gray hair, and want to pluck it out, which was a violation. In fact, listen, the, the, the Sabbath is so serious today that if you were to be with an Orthodox Jew at this point, they would turn their lights on Friday night so that when they walk into the room on Saturday, they don't have to flip the switch. If you were to get into an elevator, is everything okay? Is it not on? Okay. If you were to get into an elevator, um, what you would notice is they have programmed in some places their elevators to stop on every single floor on the Sabbath. Why? So you don't have to push a button. That's how serious they are about keeping this law. And so listen, the, the truth is, right, as you come to this, you've got to realize, man, listen, that there's a lot of laws that they're bringing out and, and just trying to weigh the people down, to laden them down. And so um, it's just, it's a challenge for them to be able to live this way. And so the, the beauty is, is guess what? Is that Christ is coming to bring freedom to them. He's coming to bring that joy and the hope of Christ. And so it's this hope that he brings to us. If you can't tell, I'm trying to stall as I'm trying to flip this back on. It's not working very good. So I'm going to go. And if this doesn't go, then you just have to do your best to follow along. All right. Um, so listen, here's kind of what's crazy about this. Is that one of the laws they had developed about the Sabbath is that you couldn't walk more than 3,000 feet on the Sabbath from your home. Guess what the text says that Jesus is doing? Look what he says there. Um, uh, here again, back in, uh, in, in verse 1. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry. And so look what it says there. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. So several things are happening, right? One is they're walking through the fields on the Sabbath, which is strike one. It's a violation, clearly, of the Sabbath day of how they interpret the law. Strike two comes. Exodus chapter 34, verse 21 says that you were not allowed to reap on the Sabbath. Guess what one of the laws is that they've made up around that? They've considered that if you even pluck a head of a grain, that's actually considered reaping on the Sabbath. To grab one head of grain. Do you see what they've done with the law? So two strikes. Finally, they come right here to the third strike. Guess what? They look to Jesus as their rabbi. Look what they say. Look, your disciples. Here's the point. If you're their rabbi and their teacher and this is what they're doing, that must mean that you approve of it. And that must mean that you are, in fact, a lawbreaker. You're not a Sabbath keeper. Strike three. They think they have Jesus pinned down exactly where they want him. And here's the reality is what they do is, is they provide him the opportunity to show how he can give rest in the greatest area of our lives and their lives, which means if he can do it in the greatest area in which they need rest, Sabbath day, that means he can do it in every other area as well. Look what he says as he picks up there. I, I don't think the screen's going to work today, so I apologize for that. Okay, um, let's go to uh, number five. Beginning verse three now, Matthew chapter 12. He said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? And the, how those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priest? His first example is, is from the prophets, right? What you have to understand is this, this bread that was there, it was called the bread of presence. Some translations render it showbread. 
But on the Sabbath day, the priest was, they were making these 12 loaves of bread and they would set them out as an offering to the Lord. After this offering was finished, the priests only were allowed to eat them. And that's what the tension is. In 1 Samuel chapter 21, David and his buddies are on the run from King Saul as Saul is trying to kill him. They're desperate and hungry and they show up there. And guess what? Only thing the priest has for them to eat is the bread of the presence. And in a moment of mercy, the priest seemingly violates the law by allowing David and his buddies to eat the bread of the presence. It was a moment in which mercy triumphed over that ceremonial law. So his first example is the prophet. Secondly, listen to what he says to them now, verse 5 here of Matthew 12. Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. His second example is right from the law. Have you not read the law? Right? He's seemingly there's some way in which it's like it's, it's a little stinging rebuke, right? You guys know all about the law. I mean, the Sabbath's all about all your extra laws and you don't know the law. He's citing Numbers chapter 28, verses 9 and 10. And according to Numbers 28, guess what the priests were allowed to do on the Sabbath? Work. The priests were allowed on the Sabbath day, according to the law, they were commanded to make offerings. And not only just offerings, they were commanded to do double offerings, twice the amount of offerings on the Sabbath. And so Jesus says to them, listen, if the priests work on that, look what it says there, verse 5, on how the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath, and yet they are what? They're guiltless. See, their working should be profaning. Their working should be a violation. But Jesus says, in fact, because you and all of the people need their sacrifice, the Lord in mercy allows them to work on that day. So what's the point of these two examples? I think it ultimately says, Jesus is saying, if the Sabbath is, is about rest, which it is, and in both of these instances, the priest either willingly or by command of the law are breaking the Sabbath. It must mean that the Sabbath was created for people and not people to be enslaved or served on the Sabbath. Secondly, I think this. Matthew is showing us that if Jesus can give them rest on this Sabbath where it seemed the most impossible with all their laws and all their rule keeping. Then he can give them rest not only on Saturday but Sunday through Friday as well. Do you see it? If he can do rest there, I mean, some of you are there. If he could just bring rest into this relationship, if he could just bring rest to my finances, if he could just bring rest to this need I have of forgiveness, then you realize, just like these people realize, if he can do it there, he can do it anywhere. That's what Jesus is proving and what Matthew is trying to show us. The call to you to come to him who are weary and heavy laden and receive rest the hope is only found in Christ. Here's a similar illustration that maybe makes sense to you. In Romans chapter 8, verse 32, Paul argues from the greater to the less, and he says this, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Paul's argument is this. Listen, if God is willing to give you the greatest thing, His Son, He gives you the Son. The Son of God is given on your behalf. If He gives you the Son, will He not graciously give you everything else as well? And maybe we all need to ask, man, if we're trusting God with our eternity, our souls, then why are we not trusting Him with our daily needs? 
Why do, why do we trust him in the greatest thing and all the lesser things? We're just like, I don't know, God, if you're going to do that. I don't know if you really care about me in this area. Similarly, if Christ can give them rest on the Sabbath, which was the most wearisome day of the week, then ultimately saying, I can give you rest every other day as well. It's a moment of hope. But the truth is, maybe all of us here are a little bit like Pharisees. Have you ever been like driving down the road and you pass by that person on the side of the road needing help or finances or maybe with their thumb out? Or maybe you you wrestle with seeing the necessity of this church providing needs financially to people in the community who are struggling and because you're convinced that maybe just like that person on the side of the road, they're probably there because they've made a lot of bad decisions. And so often we can justify our actions by telling ourselves, well, if we gave it to them, they'd probably just waste it anyway. Do you see how easy it is for us to develop our own rules? Just like their Sabbath rules, they begin to rule our lives and we begin to make every decision based upon our rules. We begin to determine who is and who is not worthy of rest. As individual believers in a church, we need to see needs and to the best of our ability in wisdom and leadership of the Spirit, I hear that, we need to meet those needs. Listen, not because meeting needs of others makes ourselves acceptable to God, but because we have already been made acceptable to God by the sacrifice of Christ. So see truth number one, how Christ brings rest to us. Jesus can give us rest in the greatest area. Now, secondly, why can Jesus give us the rest? Right? We're asking, why is he able? That's our second question. And the reason why he's able is Jesus can give us rest because he is Lord. That's why Jesus alone is able to do this. Nobody else can do it. He alone can bring it about. Jesus alone is Lord. So look with me, Wood. Watch what happens here in the next, in the next statement, verse 7 and 8. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. What a beautiful moment. I'm back on, Miss Karen. I don't know, it connected back. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the guiltless. For, listen to this statement. Here's the reason why. For, the Son of Man is what? Lord of the Sabbath. It's, a, it's an epic statement that Jesus is making here. All right, so this title, Son of Man, right? See that there in verse 8, the title Son of Man? That is from Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. In Daniel 7, Daniel talks about this, this Son of Man that is going to come. He says, He proceeds from the Ancient of Days. So He's not God the Father. He's not the Ancient of Days. This is someone else. And this individual who strides forth, it says that He is so amazing and beautiful and powerful that God gives Him glory. God's glory. God who said in Isaiah, I am God and I will not share my glory, what? With another. If God is willing to share glory with this other, it can only mean one thing. He too is God. And this one, according to Daniel, will rule the nations. It's the Messiah. It's the King. It's the Son of Man. It's Jesus. Just a beautiful moment, guys. And listen to what this happens here. The Son of Man. Look what it says here. For the Son of Man is Lord of what? Of the Sabbath. Jesus says, listen, I'm Lord over everything, and this even includes the Sabbath. Thus, therefore, Jesus alone has the unique power and authority to rightly interpret how the Sabbath should be applied. Thus, it makes sense to all of us that we would only follow this Jewish rabbi whose name is Jesus because he is the Son of Man, and he is Lord of all, and that includes the Sabbath. 
You see, as believers, we hold the fact that we alone follow Jesus' words and we follow God's word. And 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is what? It's God breathed. It's breathed out by God. Therefore, it's the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation that are our faith and they are our practice. Therefore, that means that when other rabbis or other priests or even the pastor from this pulpit preaches or teaches something contradictory to this word, we reject that teaching and hold fast to this one. It's this truth. Jesus is Lord because he's the son of man. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. So what does that mean, though, that Jesus is Lord? Well, look with me if you would. Now to verse 18 in this text here of Matthew 12. We're going to jump forward and we'll come back. But Isaiah, Isaiah prophesies in Isaiah 42 about this coming Son of Man, right? This, this ideal servant. Listen to what he says. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. God is speaking here. He says, I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. Listen to the identity of Jesus as Lord, this servant. Notice what it says first about him. My servant in whom I have chosen. He's chosen by God. Listen, God didn't look out at all the Jewish men and think, uh, ah, Jesus of Nazareth, I'll take him. No, the Bible tells us that Jesus has always been God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1, 1, right? He's always been God. And so, listen, this wasn't like God trying to figure out who he's going to choose. He has chosen Jesus from before the foundation of the world. Thus, John the Baptist could say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus is the only person that can save you and I from the pit of hell. He's the chosen of God. Secondly, listen to what he says here. He is my beloved. Jesus is loved by God. God in his perfect love has settled his love on his son and it is unchanging. He loves his son perfectly. Third, with whom my soul is well, what? Well, please. So Jesus is chosen. Jesus is beloved. With Jesus, God is well pleased. It's a beautiful moment in which God sets his joy upon the Son because the Son, as we saw in Daniel 7, is the very image of God. Jesus is God. And so it's this moment in which God just bestows upon his Son that he's chosen, he's beloved. With him, my son is, my soul is well pleased because Jesus has a unique identity, doesn't he? And maybe it's for you, right? Your unique identity at some point in life, maybe it's also bestowed certain things on you. Maybe you've had a parent or maybe grandparents who passed away and they left certain things to you because, guess what? They didn't leave them to your friends or to neighbors. They left them to you because you were, listen, that son or daughter or that grandson or granddaughter, you had a unique relationship. Similarly, listen, when Emily and I went to fill out our will, I I loved you guys, but I didn't write down any of your names. Just being honest. Right? I wrote down River, Josiah, Judah, and Pavey. Why? Because they have a unique relationship to us. And therefore, their unique identity means they receive things that others don't. Here's the amazing news. That by God's grace, through faith in Christ, you become able to share in this unique identity that is Jesus alone. This is beautiful. Listen how God now marks His children. Think about this just for a moment. 
says, my servant with whom I have chosen. Guess what Paul says in Ephesians 1 and 4. Listen to these words. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. He chose you. You sang it last week. You sang, I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. God could have forsaken us, but you sang, and the words of Christ speak to us today, saying, listen, in love, He chose us. Secondly, look what else here it is. My beloved, listen to Jesus. He's my beloved. Guess what God does? In Romans 5 and 8, God demonstrates or shows His love for you in this. That while you and I were still sinners, Christ did what? He died for us. You see, you are loved infinitely so. How much? The Son of God, the most valuable thing that God had, He gave for you. Not when you cleaned up your life. Not when you memorized enough verses. Not when you came enough. Not when you put enough money in the offering plate. He died for you in the midst of your sin and rebellion. Hallelujah, church. He, God will never turn His back on the Son. And if you are in the Son, then He will never turn His back on you. You are chosen and loved. And thirdly, because you are in Christ, God is well pleased with you. Think about that for a moment. Not because how well you sang the songs this morning. He is well pleased with you. Why? Because He is well pleased with Christ. And by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, you are in Christ. So, beloved, when you see Christ's identity here, it is a reminder of what God and His grace has given to you. You are chosen, you are loved, and you are well pleased by the Father. And you've done nothing to earn or deserve it. That's the rest. Do you see it? He brings you that rest because He is Lord and there's no one else like Him. Listen, this is a moment in which God is not pleased with us because we can read our Bible enough, pray enough, go to church enough, whatever that enough is for you. No child of God. He is perfectly pleased with you because He is perfectly pleased with Christ and by faith you are now included in Christ's inheritance. Therefore, because we are chosen, loved, and well-pleased by the Father, let's go read the Word, beloved. Let's get serious and join the nation in praying on Saturday. Let's serve and minister this community. Let's come on Sunday mornings as a family and worship together and lift our voices to Him. Why? Because of what Christ has done. He is Lord. Thus, because Jesus is Lord, He can uniquely offer to us rest. So from the text today, we've asked where or when can he give us rest? And we found that Jesus can give us rest everywhere in the greatest area to the least of areas. We asked, well, why can Jesus do it? And we found out Jesus can give us rest because he's what? Because he's what? Lord. Now we need to ask, well, how does this happen practically? How does this come to me? And that's what we're going to answer third. He does this. He brings rest to you by showing you and I mercy. Jesus brings the rest to us by showing us mercy. Pick up as you would, verse 9 of Matthew 12. Jesus went on from there and entered their synagogue. Guess what? It's another Sabbath day. Watch what happens. And a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might what? Accuse him. That's their plan, right? They're trying to trap him. Is it lawful to heal this man on the Sabbath? He's got a withered hand. That's the question. Right? So they're, they're wrestling with this. That's their intent. And what Jesus does is their attack on him actually becomes an attack back on them. 
Jesus uses the opportunity to show them on the Sabbath to attack the heart of their religious system. Right? It's kind of like in Star Wars, man. You take out the Death Star, right? They're in trouble. Right? You with me? The same way when Jesus attacks the Death Star of the religious leaders, the Sabbath day, everything else in their religious system begins to crumble. So here it is, right? Take down their Sabbath. You prove those rules and regulations won't ever bring rest. And you begin to shine your light on everything, saying their way will not bring the rest that God desires for you to have. Thus it shows to us why Judaism and all other religions fail to bring us to God. Because we can never, ever be good enough on our own. Therefore, everyone, even the Old Testament fathers and mothers that we have here, ultimately were saved by grace. Do you see it? They weren't doing enough good things. Beloved, they couldn't keep the Sabbath well enough. They were offering the sacrifices as crying out to God, Have mercy! Therefore, all people in all time who were ever saved will only be saved because of one man, the man, Jesus Christ. Those sacrifices in faith look forward to the ultimate perfect sacrifice that could take away the sin of the world. That those sacrifices, Hebrews says, the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. Everyone for eternity from Abraham on and even prior to Abraham, but he's the father of our faith. We will all look and with one voice glorify the Messiah, the son of man, the son of David, Jesus Christ, King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. What a hope. What a moment. And it's this moment here as this text comes that Jesus shows us that we, just like his disciples, just like David and his friends, just like the priest on the Sabbath, just like the people on their need on the Sabbath, just like this man now with a withered hand, we are all in desperate need of one thing, and that is mercy. It's mercy. Listen to what Jesus says, verse 11 of Matthew 12. He said to them, Which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Verse 12. Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored healthy like the other. What a beautiful moment. A moment of just Jesus' response is an argument from the, the, the less to the greater. Right? From the minor to the major. He says, listen, if you're willing, when your sheep falls into a pit, if you're willing to help raise it out and you don't think that's a violation of the Sabbath, how much more valuable is this man than the sheep? Right? I mean, the, the amazing thing is, guess what? These people refuse to respond. They refuse to this invitation to show to this man and to the entirety of the Jewish people that mercy, in fact, triumphs over judgment. And the question is, why is that? And Mark's gospel tells us, Mark chapter 3, uh, beginning in verse 4. It's the same account that Mark tells that Matthew is telling here in Matthew 12. And he says in verse 4 of Mark 3, And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of what? Hardness of heart. It was a hard heart, right, that led them to failing to show mercy to someone else. Because they, maybe like you and I at times, think that person's unworthy because of our own rules. And ultimately it reveals the hardness of our hearts. And what it does is it robs us and those people of rest. Listen to this. Here's the beauty of Christ. That even when others say you're unworthy of mercy, that doesn't stop God from showing you mercy. 
This is a beautiful moment. Jesus says to that man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched his hand out and it is made well. It's a moment of beauty and mercy. These people didn't think this man qualified to receive mercy on the Sabbath. He didn't fit their rules. Yet God in His love desires to show you and all people mercy. No matter if everyone else thinks you're undeserving or too dirty. I mean, it's, uh, again, here in Matthew 12, uh, it's just this hope of this moment, right? In uh, verse 20 of Matthew 12, it says, A bruised reed he will not break. This is, again, Isaiah's prophecy about who Jesus is. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench. Listen, the bruised reed was one in which it was easily lying over, right? It's received ultimately a death blow. It's internal. It may not show it outwardly as much, but internally it's dying. And the temptation would be just to step on it because it doesn't matter. The smoldering wick is there. It's just smoking out. There seems to be no hope. And guess what that represents? Our lives. You see today to the addict or the abuser who thinks there's no hope. Look here. To the senior adult who maybe feels like your life is past its prime and you feel worthless, look here. To the unfaithful spouse who thinks that you will never ever be good enough again, look here. Because in this moment we see the gentleness and the tenderness of God's heart for all of us. No one is beyond the mercy and grace of God. Hallelujah. It's as James 2.13 says, mercy triumphs over what? Judgment. In mercy, it's mercy according to Jesus that actually fulfills the Sabbath law. It's mercy to this man. It was mercy to Jesus' disciples. It was mercy to David and his men. It was mercy to the priest. It was mercy to the people because the priests were working on the Sabbath. It is mercy to all of us today that fulfills the Sabbath and ultimately brings rest. And therefore, as the people of God, how do we now fulfill this Sabbath? How do we bring the fulfillment of the law? Galatians 5.14, Paul says, we fulfill it in doing one thing, loving your neighbor as what? As yourself. It's just showing mercy to others. Why? Because you yourself have received mercy. And that loving, listen, is most clearly expressed as we show that love to others. I don't know, uh, you may not be comfortable, but how many of you remember the 1970s and the Watergate scandal with Nixon? Raise your hand. Does some of you remember that? Yeah. Hey, you ought to praise God. That you holding that hand up today is a reminder of God's faithfulness unto you, beloved. We ought to thank God today that we're in a church not just trying to reach the tweens and the 20s and the 30s. We care about all people here. All here are welcome, young and old, rich or poor, black or white. They are all what? Precious in His sight. I thank God for the church. Amen? I thank God for the church, young and old. I thank God for all of us here today. But it was in the 1970s that President Richard Nixon, right, when he engaged the Watergate scandal, it was a time in which the morale and the people, the American people, they, their, their confidence in the U.S. leadership was extremely low. It was during this time that maybe the most respected man on the face of the earth, probably for sure the most respected man in America, stood and said these words. Everybody has a little bit of Watergate in him. Hear it. Everybody has a little bit of Watergate in him. The man that spoke those words 
the great Billy Graham. What was Billy Graham's reminder to people in the 1970s? We all, like Richard Nixon, are sinners in need of mercy. Do you see it for you? Got a little Watergate in you? Got some scandal in you? It's not beyond the grace and mercy of God. Today you can be forgiven of everything you've ever done, thought, every wicked motive of your heart. You can truly be free. You can experience this Sabbath rest. Come to Christ and you shall experience perfect, eternal rest. And for those of us who are in Christ and beloved, we need to look out and realize that other people who have Watergate in them are people just like us who have Watergate in us and they need mercy and we show mercy. Why? Because we ourselves have received it and need it desperately. Not just to be saved, but to continue just even this day. The grace and mercy of God sustains all of us. Beloved, this church, we desperately must show this community mercy. We desperately must show one another, our brothers and sisters in Christ, mercy. We must show the nation's mercy. We must show our families and our spouses and our parents and parents to children. We must show one another mercy. Why? Because Jesus came to bring us rest, beloved. And that's how Jesus answers Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You bring about fulfillment as you show mercy and as you rest and trust in Christ alone and nothing of your good works. Praise God. Amen. Man, I want to say I praise God today. I have struggled so much with this text, so much that yesterday I spent all day rewriting the entire sermon and I praise God for His faithfulness that He would bring out clarity to you and I because I'm telling you the other text that I was going to preach or the way in which I was going to preach it, it wasn't clear. I didn't even know it was clear. And God in His mercy and grace has seen fit to give us today clarity from the Scriptures, hope in Christ alone. Hallelujah to the name of Jesus. I just want to praise Him today that He had mercy on me this week. Man, praise His name. Wow. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for giving us rest. It's you alone that gives rest. Thank you, God, that we can hope and trust in you alone, Lord. Father, I pray today for anyone here who feels too dirty, too far gone. Lord, I pray that your mercy and your grace has met them in the scriptures by the power of the Holy Spirit. And today they fix their eyes on Jesus alone. For those who are believers here today, I pray this text compels our hearts to go and show mercy to everyone we meet because we too desperately need mercy and we all need rest in Jesus alone. Thank you, God, that you are the fulfiller of the Sabbath and the fulfiller of the law. And by grace, you have chosen us and loved us. And with us, you are well pleased because of Christ. That is the place we rest. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Todd Young with Greensburg Baptist Church. Thank you for joining us today. If you've accepted Christ during today's podcast, we would love to hear from you and connect you with a home church in your area. Or if you have questions regarding a relationship with Christ, Brother Blake and I would love to speak with you. Please contact us at the church office at 270-932-4495 or connect with us through our website at greensburgbaptist.com. 
In addition, you may visit our website anytime to access the sermon videos and podcast of any recent sermon. You may also subscribe to our podcast in the iTunes store. Have a great day today.